This is That Marketing Podcast. Made by marketers for marketers. Welcome to another edition of That Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Spotly UK. Today we're looking further down the funnel than usual at telephone sales. It's been a part of sales for a long, long time, and as of right now, in September 2020, pretty much the only way that even senior salespeople can do their jobs and hit their targets. Uh, my guest today for this topic is Anthony Steers, the telephone assassin. Anthony was a huge hit at our customer conference back at the beginning of the year, so we wanted to share his insights with you as well. Uh, we talk about things including pizza menus, pipeline constipation, and what sort of sales training you should actually be a little bit wary of. I hope you enjoy. For your particular approach to telesales to work, what are the essential things that a marketing team needs to be providing their sales team with in terms of data? Okay, so um, marketing and sales do need to work closer together. And in a lot of companies, they seem to be on, on separate teams or seem to be talking different languages. So there's a few things that they can do to help each other. Obviously, your clients, they're generating quite a lot of uh, actual leads or inquiries or, or people that are reacting to some form of message, which is exactly the sort of warming up that the sales guys appreciate and can then crack onto rather than just having a, a database of cold leads to go and warm up themselves Um, but the things that they can kind of do to help each other out is from a sales perspective you need to really see uh, the client through to the very end and and when I say the very end of the project I don't mean uh, just them signing the paperwork and you delivering the goods or the service it's about gathering that testimonial and building a little case study weeks months afterwards um, that you can then pass back to marketing because marketing then have access to all of the databases and new prospects and they can go and share those success stories with people who might be able to resonate with it. And that in itself will create a new batch of people that will engage with an email or a post on social media or some form of marketing, which shows that they're technically warm uh, and therefore worth giving to sales and for sales to try and follow up and, and push through our sales journey. So it is vital that sales and marketing really work together and uh one of the lovely things that happened off the back of uh, Gatorcom, one of the people that was in the audience that I spoke to afterwards, she went back to her office uh, and did start making some phone calls to the surprise of, of her sales team. Um, but what she found out was actually what was in the CRM system wasn't being updated properly. And, and that in itself creates a, a much bigger challenge to be able to forecast and analyze what's in your pipeline. Because if people aren't updating the CRM system properly, you're, you're pretty much setting traps for the next time you speak to them. Because if you have, if you try and have the same conversation with somebody twice, they might remember it and you're going to look stupid. And as I talk about on stage, information is ammunition. The more notes you can have on your system um, that you can use, the easier it is to keep the subject focused on them because they are their favorite topic. So, yeah, that's how I think sales and marketing should really sort of gel together because you both want the same outcomes obviously having the correct information is very um very important to have those effective sales conversations do you think that the information gathering stage of the cycle rests especially with sales or marketing or is there an even split between both of them oh that's a good question i suppose that there's some marketing tend to do more profiling and testing marketing messages out to see what kind of reactions you're getting 
usually it's the salespeople who try and go and engage and have a conversation with that prospect. Um, so technically, I would say that the onus is down to them to know enough about the person that they're going to be approaching to be able to spark up a conversation, to know some things about them and things that would be relevant to them so that they are prepared for that call. Uh, and when I say prepared for that call, that is in, in a couple of respects. One is that they have some success stories up their sleeve that they're ready to share with that person who is in a similar industry or um, perhaps suffers with a similar type of issue that they might be suffering with. So you're sharing uh, that kind of success story. Uh, but then from a, a preparation perspective, you should understand their industry and their market if, you, if you've worked in that, in that area before and potentially have um, a test drive up your sleeve, something that you could do that would show them the value you can give them, because that's the way we create urgency by offering this test drive. So if you can think ahead to what easy steps might I be able to offer them to move forwards and experience what it's like to work with us, it's great to have that, but if you don't do your research first, it's really hard to know what might float their boat, what success stories might resonate with them. So. I suppose the, the real onus comes down to the salespeople because information is ammunition. And if, uh, if you want to close more sales, you need as much ammo as you can get. However, any research that can be done, I think, by marketing, as long as it's appreciated by sales, uh, I'm sure will, will prove very useful. Is it maybe reasonable to say that industry or company level research sits with marketing, but then research about the individual that you're trying to sell to is more sales as domain? Is that a fair way of splitting the workload? Yeah, yeah, I suppose, yeah, I think that's right. Um, marketing can potentially have the time to look at what other articles are out there on a particular topic or uh, what articles have been put out there by a particular company. That is great insight to give to the salesperson, but the salesperson is going to be de uh, dealing with a human being. Uh, and the more they know about that human being, the easier it will be to engage them into a conversation, to be able to understand what their values might be. And like I say, what would be a, a likely and easy next step for them to take subject to the conversation going how you hope it's going to go. In regards to a very personal approach to sales, how can marketing automation and that mass marketing process support the way that you teach people to sell? Okay. Uh, so the reason people go out and do cold calling is because they don't have enough leads. Okay. So if you, if your marketing is working well and you're generating leads or inbound inquiries, that gives the salespeople something specific to work on. Technically, if that person's responded to your marketing, they've technically walked into your shop. It's down to you to serve them and, and to help them to buy. So if marketing can look at or talk to sales about their dream customers and what they might look like, it's much easier then for marketing to go off and do a mass campaign to lots of people in that space. Because if you, you send a thousand emails and you can get 500 people to open it, then fingers crossed you'll get 10%, 50 people following a link and hitting an article on your website. And if you can get 50 people to your website, hopefully if it's doing its job properly, you get at least a couple of people that will either pick up the phone or perhaps fill out a contact form. And marketing can really generate that top end of the funnel to try and do some of the legwork, identify some quick wins or some low hanging fruit to people who timing wise, they've got the message at just the right time. It is a topic that they want to talk about and therefore are ready to engage. It's much easier for them to, to do the legwork digitally rather than uh, obviously cold calling individuals randomly and just hoping that you eventually get lucky. In your um 
Gatorcom presentation, one of the uh, one of the techniques you talked about was leading with one big objection to make it safe ground to talk about. Do you think yeah. that's a, a sensible step for for marketing comms to take too, to lead with an objection, or does it only work in a uh, no absolutely telephone concept? Certainly work off with marketing comms, and basically it's just addressing the elephant in the room. <laughs> when you're prospecting I think the example I gave on stage is when you're when you're prospecting you're trying to knock on a, a door that hasn't been opened before and you're trying to possibly replace a incumbent supplier the most common objection that you typically get is with that that's great but we're not looking for that right now okay um, and that's just something that sales is a numbers game but it's about good timing really you catch somebody at the right time or when they're thinking about a particular thing you can get them to take action An example I usually give is I've worked with quite a few insurance companies and really what they want to know in the early stages is when's your renewal date because if you've just renewed your insurance in the last couple of months they know you don't want to talk about it for at least another nine months because it's not that exciting okay and that's just something that if you can put that on the table early and say to somebody hey there I, I, this is what we do but i'm assuming you're not looking for that right now it makes it safe for them to talk to you about the fact that they're not looking for training or whatever the service might be right now but allows the conversation to continue to move forwards and it typically opens them up to saying oh actually no we're not looking at training right now however and then they go on to tell me what training they have got already booked in or when their budgets might be available for them to invest in training which starts to give me a better idea of what their desired time frame would be which then allows me to get it back into my crm system and nurture that along until they are ready because i talk about sales being a numbers game but it's it's less about trying to sell or, or get get over objections it's more about capitalizing on the conversations people are ready to have and helping them to buy and best way to do that is to make sure that now is a good time that they are thinking about it because then they'll fully engage in the conversation if in your industry i don't know budget is a particular uh, issue that you tend to come across quite a lot if you have a a payment plan or something along those lines or, or you, you do a subscription type service that's something that you might sort of say to people look i understand you probably don't have a budget for this however a lot of our clients would choose to go down this uh, payment plan option which allows them to spread the cost benefits of that to you is that you can start reaping the rewards and the benefit of having our product and our service straight away and as that starts to help you earn more money or waste less or whatever your return on investment helps cover the cost of it for example so that's an example of how you might then approach if budget was an issue for example do you think it's easy enough to group uh, different conversations into categories that sales can feed that back to marketing in a sort of broad or structured way or does it have to be very much one-to-one -one feedback on each conversation that sales are having um so i unfortunately well, one thing i didn't really get to kind of go into detail on at gatorcon was how you measure the effectiveness of these conversations that the salespeople are having with prospects and with clients um uh, and the the best way to to do that and to track it and to feed back to marketing or for marketing to be able to see how well it's going is to map out a customer journey um, or what I would call your sales cycle point, which pretty much maps out each step within the cycle that you're gonna to need to take somebody through in order for them to decide that they wanna do business with you. 
So um, example that I would usually give is for your, your first point is for getting the name of the person you think you need to speak to. Your second point might be to look them up on LinkedIn and do a bit of research and find a case study that they might be able to relate to. Your third point is actually scored when you pick up the phone and talk to them. You actually have to get them on the phone to score your third point. Uh, once you've got them on the phone, you need to get permission to speak, which should just be one of your company standards, uh, but you might want to throw that in there as a, as a point. But let's just say you've got them on the phone and you've got permission to speak. That's your fourth point. Your fifth point is purely getting them to agree for you to drop your pizza menu off. And that was the analogy that I gave on stage is prospecting should feel like you're dropping off a pizza menu and not trying to take an order. I think we've all had takeaway menus put through our letterbox on a, on a weekly basis, um, but none of us seem to get them come and knock on our door and just ask to take an order because that would just be rude. So, yeah, from a points perspective, you need to take people through a journey where they have agreed for you to drop off your pizza menu. And once the pizza menu has been dropped off, you then need to confirm where you're going to send it to. So it might be gathering their email address. Um, and then finally, at the end of the call, you need to take final responsibility for the next time you're going to speak to this person. So you're now up to point sort of six or seven, really. Um, and you've just got to the end of a call where somebody's gone. Yeah, we might be interested in the future. Send me a case study. OK, so. Technically, if you can make sure that you map out every step in your sales cycle, it becomes really quick and easy to identify where the bottlenecks are within the pipeline, okay? Or who is suffering with what type of pipeline constipation, i.e. is John in sales getting stuck when it comes to the follow-up and is Andy in sales actually getting stuck because he's not dropping off enough pizza menus and, and he's not making enough calls? It becomes quite easy to spot those bottlenecks, which means it's easy for marketing to react either to help uh, sales to overcome that step and move somebody through the journey or uh, to bring in somebody like me who can work very specifically on a, a, a couple of phrases or things that they could do to either prevent that objection from coming up um, or how to get round the objection next time it comes up. So it should be getting measured, but the best way to do this is to map out the sales cycle. But from a communication perspective, every step of communication that needs to happen between people for things to move forwards. Yeah, so it sounds like the biggest pitfall there is not giving salespeople enough of a structure before they dive into making calls. Is is that fair to say or is there another big pitfall that we really need to think uh, about before? Yeah. It's just having a structure and a plan for the conversation and thinking through what questions are they going to ask? What concerns are they going to have? What can I do to prove to them that I know what I'm doing and what can I offer them that might entice them to take a next step and look a bit closer? Too many people go into calls, I think, with a with a script, which is their icebreaker or their elevator pitch. And usually they just read it and it, it doesn't come across very well. Um, and, and the reason I'm a, I'm, I'm not a fan of scripts is the person that you're phoning hasn't been sent their copy um, so they usually say something that isn't on the script and if you try and return back to your script you end up distorting the flow of the conversation which tells them something's wrong and that you're trying to do something and therefore you're probably in sales see so probably a bank of questions is a, is a sensible sales resource to have but not a set absolute script then Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there should be some certain questions that you want to ask people, uh, but it will depend on your research as to what it is you're going to ask. 
but usually if we provide most of us provide a product or a service that fixes a problem or is a solution to something and we usually know what industries suffer with a particular problem that requires our solution so you can outright ask is this something that you suffered with um, however, if you've got a case study to say, hey there, don't know if you suffer with this particular problem, but one of your competitors we've been working with recently was, and this is what they've said about us, now we fixed it. If it is something you want to have any issues with or want to look at closer, would love to offer you a little test drive or see what we could do next. Obviously, sales training has to be very much an ongoing process. It's not a listen to one seminar and, and then you're you're set for life. Um, yeah. We've... Um... Obviously, you've got your you've got your own your own book and your own resources out. Are there any other particular resources that you'd recommend sales teams or sales leaders should should dive into? Um, there's quite a few on, online. The the thing that I would be my my air of caution I would say to people is be careful of sales training. Okay, there's a lot of old-fashioned sales tactics and more excuse me, but American-style sales that we just aren't really that comfortable with and just don't seem to work anymore. If you're going to, to look at honing your sales skills, I would look more at things around communication, uh, around emotional intelligence, around influence and persuasion, because that's how you get people to do stuff as a result of your conversations. Whereas a lot of sales training is tactics designed to make people squirm. Um, so you'll hear about the you can do alternative closes or, or they'll talk about how there's techniques that you can use where he who speaks next loses. OK, if you're happy to make somebody so uncomfortable and then sit there for five seconds of silence until they crack because you've talked them into it, you probably find that they'll end up with that buyer's remorse and won't do the paperwork or, or there'll be a problem later on down the line. And you'll end up spending a lot more time trying to save deals that aren't really strong and going to go through anyway, rather than focusing on the ones that are. So um, from, a, from a people to look out for as well, um, there's a few that I, I keep an eye on and I've worked with in the past. So a particular favorite one of mine at the moment is a chap called Phil Hesketh. Brilliant, talks about influence, persuasion. He's got 50 something questions he tells people to ask. Really engaging, but got some really useful stuff around how to actually pull somebody into that conversation. Another chap, Phil Jones, Phil M. Jones, uh, he's got a few books out. One I think was called Magic Words. But again, he uses really subtle word choices that just make people feel comfortable and make you feel genuine and honest and, and that you care about somebody and that you're genuinely trying to help them as opposed to convince them. So there's, there's lots of resources out there. I go looking all the time. So... Uh, I think what you were saying about training being that ongoing process, there's that old adage about the the woodsman and having to sharpen his axe. Uh, it doesn't matter how strong he is, if he doesn't keep sharpening his axe, his work becomes harder and harder and he can cut down less and less trees. And I think that's just the same thing with sales. What you tend to find in sales is some people think it's just an art and you've either got it or you haven't. But quite often in sales, you're engaging with people. There is ne not really necessarily a right and a wrong way of doing it. It's whether you can take people along a journey or not that is is the kind of real case for it but yeah like I say training is something that you should constantly be uh, reminding yourself of because I think in everyday life we all cut corners where we can and I think in sales we do the same thing and if we get away with cutting a few corners then we continue to do it a lot of people 
at the end of my sessions go, oh my God, I used to do that. Or, oh wow, I didn't realize that that thing you talked about had that much of an impact. Uh, and then they start to, the penny starts to drop that it's just these subtle little tweaks. It's that what will make the boat go faster, just little things that get your conversion rate up, that gets the conversion speed down, gets you selling more to more people. And that in sales and in marketing is kind of what it's all about. I think that's a really great uh, point to end the podcast on, that it is about understanding and journeys rather than that sales gift. So marketers don't need to be afraid of sales or vice versa. We can all understand what each other's doing if we all do it well. And, and we'll leave it there. Anthony, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Uh, Richard, thank you ever so much for inviting me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for joining us for another episode of That Marketing Podcast. You clearly have wonderful taste. We hope you found the content useful and, and enjoyed it. We'd love you to subscribe wherever it is you're listening to us. Maybe leave us a review. If you can think of a topic that you, you'd like us to cover, or even if you fancy coming on the podcast and sharing your own experience on a particular topic, uh, you can reach us at marketingteam at spotler.co.uk. Thanks once again and happy marketing.